DJ Radio Show continues now on 880 The Biz. Here are your hosts, Johnny Irish. Aw, $20. I wanted a peanut. And Corey Morgan. $20 can buy many peanuts. Explain how. Money can be exchanged for goods and services. Woohoo! Look at that yo-yos. That's the way you do it. You play the guitar on MTV. All right, everybody, welcome back to Bloomberg 880 The Biz in Miami. And Corey and I, as you know, for the past week or two, we've really been uh, focusing on the coronavirus because a lot of our listeners and a lot of our friends and business associates, they travel, they're involved with Wall Street. Obviously, it's the Bloomberg Network. But what we decided to do is really kind of focus on that. And one thing led to another where not only were we involved and we're interviewing people who were involved in the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, but our next guest, Mr. Richard K. Williams out of Cupertino, California, uh, he, he really is uh, the best of both worlds because not, is, not only is he involved in the medical device side, but he's also involved in the technology side. So we have a lot to talk about tonight. And uh, Mr. Williams, I welcome you to the CJ Radio Show, and I'd like to introduce my co-host, Corey J. Morgan. Corey Morgan here, a co-host. How are you tonight, Richard? I'm doing very well. Now, Richard, uh, you and I have had a few phone calls this week, but uh, just for our audience and for Corey, you have a 40-year career in technology. Am I correct? You, you're currently the owner or involved in management of eight different companies with 350 patents? Yes, that's true. Before we get into the technology and what's happening around the world, uh, how'd you get involved in this? Where, where did it come from? Were uh, you like a young Sheldon just building things in your basement? <laughs> yes, actually, in the high school, I started uh, in science fair projects and... Uh, I got uh, helped by a professor uh, at uh, the University of Illinois, where later I graduated uh, with an engineering degree, and that was Professor John Bardeen, who just happened to be the inventor of the transistor and two-time Nobel Prize winner. So I got helped with a very early age, and of course that gave me a lot of inspiration to go on and see uh, the kind of innovations he did in his career. and hope that I could do as well. What is a device physics expert such as yourself anyways? So inside a semiconductor device, there's this large array of of transistors that are connected together and they communicate uh, by electrical current. But when they're operating, they, they have to do a particular function. They might amplify a signal, they might do some digital switching, or in something like an artificial intelligence or a neural network, they might actually have to do some reasoning similar to mimicking what the brain does. So, so a semiconductor physicist is the one who creates those transistors to do those specific functions. And the transistors that drive a motor are completely different than the, the transistors used to, to decide whether or not to apply your brakes or to implement a particular therapy in a medical device. 
So, so it has to be specialized. So um, one thing that was very interesting is the uh, hyperspear, you know, a real-time cybersecurity network with embedded DIDAG dual cryptocurrency for global e-commerce. So it says that your decentralized cloud stores create for individuals, businesses, and robots to interact with trust. You know, I recently saw the new Terminator. Why would we want robots to interact uh, securely, encrypted, and decentralized? Okay, so the world is converting to robots and connected devices anyway whether it's secure or not. And, uh, for example, an automobile is now connected to the road, which is connected to other cars, connected to, to networks and grids, factories are connected to that. So in, in any of those particular cases, then um, what you have is you have a, a vulnerability that anybody who invades the communication network and is able to, to uh, intercept data moving through the network in fact, then can uh, interject themselves into a communication and start uh, stealing the packets of data and ultimately take over the system, possibly cause an airbag in a car to inflate or cause a factory robot to uh, malfunction. And this can lead to uh, serious damage, injury, even death. When you say the, would you say the car is connected to the road? Are, are we talking satellite or are city states and municipalities actually uh, putting sensors on the pavement, the highway? Uh, it's a combination of all. The goal is to have complete knowledge of all the automobiles, you know, in a, in a city, what they're doing, where they're going, and to prevent collision between the cars. The dominant mechanism for cars communicating with one another is for them to communicate to the, a terrestrial network, generally uh, 4G, but in the long run, 5G. And this is the way they communicate uh, what is happening with the road, if there's a, a collision up ahead, if there's some kind of problem. Um, but at the same time, they also have sensors that allow them to determine if other cars are slowing down in front of them or if somebody's coming in from the side. So all these uh, elements, the road having sensors going to a network, the cars talking to each other locally, the cars talking to a terrestrial network, all are part of these connected highway or smart highways and connected cars. Now, I was on the phone with GMC earlier this week, and uh, they were talking uh, to us, Corey and I, about this new electric Hummer that they're going to bring back to the market, which I think the Hummer was taken off the market like 10 years ago. At the least, 2010, I think they stopped production. So would the Hummer, uh, for a hypothetical, the new electric Hummer, would that be able to talk to a Tesla which is right in front of it uh, on a highway or a side road, um, even on, yeah, you know, a local street uh, residential. That, that's the goal. The goal is to establish standards uh, that allow the vehicles to uh, communicate with each other in very much the same way the Internet allows products made by different companies to communicate with each other. The Hummer and uh, Tesla and uh, a BMW or Mercedes should all follow the same protocols, uh, probably defined conjunctively between the 5G industry and the automotive industry, so that the data can be sent to them so they get heads-up warnings, they get uh, announcements of road conditions, 
and locally among the cars, ultimately they should form an ad hoc network. And that ad hoc network would allow them to communicate with each other in case an emergency occurred uh, right where in the vicinity of where those cars were. Now, so now for you don't want to rely on the big network for something that has to happen urgently. Well, you know what it is, and and just for a guy like myself um, who's not technically proficient, you know, I'm not a tech guy. I'm a radio guy, but when I when I go to a Starbucks and I open up my computer, I have to log in. Would would each car have to log into each car, or would it be an open network where once I get on the highway, my car immediately connects with the next car? And that computer and that wireless network says, you know what, we're 220 feet apart and everything is a-okay. Is that is that the goal or is that how it works that, now or how do we get to that? Yeah, so that's a very good question. So it turns out that for that kind of connectivity, it's called an ad hoc network. It means it's a network that is formed locally uh, on demand as needed. And when it is no longer needed, it disappears. So the way that really works is think of it as two levels. At the high level, you have um, the, the interconnectivity of cars to uh, the network and to other cars that is only a physical connection that says, hello, we're talking to each other, but I haven't authorized you to, to send me any data. Then at another level, it then has an authorization that you have authenticated who you are and where you are to the network and to the local cars around, around me. And that determines, that security determines what information I can exchange with you and what information I cannot exchange with you. So, for example, I would like to know how far ahead you are and how fast you're moving, but I do not want to provide information or gain information about a person, the name of the person, where they live, what their uh, their personal information is, because with road rage, you, you certainly don't want to be uh, passing private information to other people on on the road. So, so the hypersphere is designed to provide layers of security where the information is as needed is passed, but the other information remains private. And how, how does the hypersphere work? Uh, do you go directly to the automotive manufacturers or do you go to the municipalities or do you just launch a satellite and guess what? We own the road now. No, it actually, the hypersphere is a software application that exists within any network. So if you install the application within a radio network or within the Internet, it operates. Uh, Are you trying to take over my radio network? Are you? T- no, no. We're only providing a secure way for you to deliver your message so nobody can intercept it or hack it. Gotcha. I'm so, just joking anyway. but You'll still have a job. Oh, well, you know, as long as Corey doesn't take it over, I'll be fine. I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, I got to say, I was trying to look through the, you know, your hypersphere. You have the uh, white paper. um, And it's amazing what kind of, um, I don't know if you can explain a little more in detail um, how the hypersphere works and how it's more like how it becomes secure, how it's kind of like a blockchain. And now you guys, as if blockchain and cryptocurrencies aren't enough, you're like legitimately, now you want to melt down hyper coins into metal coins and then 
<laughs> explain how that works, uh, corresponding okay, melting so, of pre-existing hypercoins. Okay, so before we get to the cryptocurrency, you have to look at the hypersphere at, uh, as, in, in some ways, a replacement of the Internet. So the Internet uses a protocol called TCPIP, or mm -hmm. the Internet Protocol, and it's basically that number that you use to send any message out, and you can see the, the, the IP address of the device you're communicating with. The problem with that is that everybody who sees the packet knows where the data is coming from and where the data is going to. So, so in the hypersphere, what we do is we essentially uh, disguise the data so that you never know where um, the, the source of the data is, where the destination is, and each device that carries the data only knows its next destination. It doesn't know the origin or the final destination. That means that intercepting any data packet, unlike in the internet where I can find it came from you and it's going and it's going to someone else, I can actually hide all of that so that the metadata is useless. That's the first thing: is secure communication. Mm -hmm. The second piece of the hypersphere is that then to we need to protect your privacy. So the unusual thing about protecting your privacy is to protect your privacy, I have to know who you are. So that means your identity has to somehow be privately stored in the network so that I can distinguish when something is yours, a device, a message, a, a blockchain transaction, a cryptocurrency wallet, or if it's somebody else pretending to be you. This is the problem with the Internet today. You can pretend to be anybody, and since it's completely anonymous, there's no way to validate or check your identity. The second piece is the identity. The third piece, okay, is then uh, the blockchain or the irrevocable records. So when transactions occur or, uh, or um, you're doing some kind of communications, if there is a record or a transaction that needs to be protected, then it is recorded onto a blockchain. And that's unlike in the in uh, Bitcoin, where that blockchain is publicly available for everybody to see. In the hypersphere, that blockchain is tied to you. Mm. And only the, the peer computers needed to validate a transaction see your private blockchain. The whole world cannot see it and profile you and then figure out where your wallets are and steal all your, uh, all your, all your data. And the way we generate a blockchain is, is by creating a digital code with the movement of packets through the network. And that leads to the cryptocurrency that is native to the hypersphere that allows everybody to participate because if data moves through your device, you have a code that you can prove you carry the data, and therefore the person who's, or the company that's asking you to carry data will then compensate you ratably with other people who carry the data. And that, that's not done by wasting electricity solving some puzzle the way Bitcoin is made. It's actually created by the movement of the data. We call it a hop code. And so the hypersphere then allows any device to download the software and to become part of the network, and then the network then carries the data, and and everybody who carries the data in the network gets paid, just like you're your own Amazon. And so would that mint a new hypercoin? 
Yeah, so so what happens is that basically the, the, the guy who wants to carry the data makes a contract, a, a hyper-contract, which is a pledge, that I'm going to pay you a certain amount of money to do to carry data for me. And, and, and then that pledge is then distributed by every, every computer that participates or is going to participate in doing the calculations, storing the data, or carrying, carrying the messages. Okay, once, once that pledge is made, which is, is pledge is made in a non-tradable currency, we call the hypermetal, then as soon as those nodes uh, complete the task, each of them are proved with their code that they did the work, they get the hypermetal and it automatically is minted into a, a coin. And the coin is tradable. Uh, you can use it. You can sell it. You can convert it to fiat currency any anytime you want. So, so that method allows everybody to to be a resource provider to the network and to get paid uh, without ever actually knowing who it is that's paying them. The contract holder uh, uh, provides the payment in, in hypermetal. They convert into hypercoin and now they've, they've gotten compensated for their work at the market value. So the hypercoin value will go up and down just like Bitcoin based on how many people are buying and selling it in the market. The hypermetal, however, is almost constant because if, you, if you're making hamburgers, you don't want to pay $1 to make your hamburger this, this today and $20 to make your hamburger tomorrow because the currency is fluctuating. So the, the hypermetal that a, a company buys to get one year's worth of contract is stable. But mm. the people who do the work for them get money that's converted at the market value, and if they trade it immediately, they don't feel the currency fluctuation. But if they hold, if they earn the hypercoins and they, and they hold them, then they are, in essence, uh, speculating on the currency. Interesting. That's the only way to solve the problem is you must have a dual cryptocurrency solution to have stability. And this is why companies cannot use Bitcoin in commerce, because it's too unstable. It's too volatile. So does it like it helps limit the number of tokens in circulation and that's what avoids the currency value and dilution and economic inflation? Is am I understanding it, that correctly? It, it, yes and more, because since the amount of hypercoins minted is, is directly tied to the uh, amount of, of hypermetal that's being converted, and the hypermetal represents real fiat currency being converted and coming into the hypersphere. Then, in essence, it's true market dynamics of supply and demand, and the more people that are using that currency, the more valuable that currency becomes, just like the growth of the Japanese yen after World War II. The more people who use it, the more valuable the currency became. So it is a reflection of the true economic uh, strength of an industry and uh, a government in the case of a country. But in the case of the hypersphere, it's a measurement of the, the hypersphere's commerce itself, which in essence is a, a, almost a gross domestic product without a country. I mean, you are more informative than I think anyone expected. You're like Encyclopedia Britannica, but walking and driving and sitting at coffee shops, dissertating. Was this something that really started when you were young? Did you really like dive into engineering when you were a very young child? Uh, when I was growing up, I 
played uh, drums in a rock group, and I, I, I played basketball, and I competed in science fairs. So I did all three, and I found that that gave me a better perspective than than just concentrating on one thing. You you are the perspective of everything we've been talking about for like the past three weeks. It's unbelievable. But Richard, Corey and I and Matt, who uh, you spoke to earlier, uh, we definitely want to thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate your time. Uh, one other thing we'd like to do is we'd like to invite you back on specific topics regarding your knowledge that we might be involved with in the future. Are you okay with that? Yeah, very good. All right, excellent. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Stay tuned. Hour two of the CJ Radio Show on 880 The Biz starts after these messages.